Welcome to Life Beat, right to Life of Michigan's bi-weekly podcast going in-depth on pro-life news and information. I'm your host, Chris Gast, RLM's Director of Communication and Education. Happy Friday, everyone. Our feature today is the conventions and the August 2 primary election, but first let's go over a few stories from the last couple weeks. Great news out of Texas. David Daleiden and his co-conspirator, Sandra Merritt, have been cleared of all charges. Daleiden and Merritt, if you're not familiar, uh, were the people who were responsible for filming those undercover Planned Parenthood videos, exposing their organ harvesting schemes. Daleiden had been charged uh, with fetal organ harvesting, and uh, both he and Merritt had been charged with falsifying uh, driver's licenses as part of their undercover investigation. Uh, the uh, fetal organ harvesting charge had been dropped a couple weeks ago, which is, of course, ridiculous because Planned Parenthood was the one willing to engage in fetal organ harvesting, not uh, David Daleiden. But the driver's license charge was also dropped. I know we've talked about in the past in the podcast how the uh, district attorney there turned the grand jury against uh, David Daleiden. They were impaneled to look at Planned Parenthood. Instead, they went after the whistleblower. And one thing I want to highlight in this is uh, just kind of how the media has used this story. Molly Hemingway is uh, one of my favorite reporters. She was the one that kind of highlighted how the media had been ignoring Kermit Gosnell. And uh, she had a great article summing up how the media covered when Daleiden was first charged and now that he has been uh, cleared of all charges. Part of the media strategy of Planned Parenthood, when the videos came out, uh, they pushed out their own analysis of the videos to try to claim that these uh, videos were inaccurate and all made up, and the media really covered that. Uh, when an actual independent analysis was done showing that, well, obviously there's nothing made up, they released the full footage, um, that story really didn't get as much attention. Planned Parenthood just did that to get the headlines out there. Planned Parenthood had been colluding with the district attorney uh, in Texas, in Houston, and part of the reason was they wanted to get the headline out there that, oh, well, this is a criminal who was doing these videos. These videos can't be credible. Uh, and so the media put that headline out there. Uh, now that he's been charged, you know, there was not very much reporting on that. One of Hem- uh, Molly's uh, quotes from her article is really good. In years past, we've seen this disparity in how the media led Planned Parenthood's shakedown of the Komen Foundation, but hid the practices of late-term abortionist and murderer Kermit Gosnell, or the breathless and nonstop praise of late-term abortion fan Wendy Davis, and round-the-clock coverage of Todd Akin. So obviously this is just a fact of life we pro-lifers need to be used to. That's why it's so important for you to take the role of the media and share stories and information with people. Some more great news. Lansing's only abortion clinic is closed, at least temporarily. Theodore Rumel is the owner of the Women Care Clinic. Now, his clinic had originally been closed a couple years ago. Back in uh, 2014, uh, the Church of the Resurrection in Lansing took over his office space and basically kicked him out. Um And what they've done instead is they've opened a place called the New Life Center. Uh, It's very nice. They do post-abortion recovery programs, uh, crisis pregnancy help. 
I've been there for a couple meetings uh, for uh, pro-life students. It's a wonderful location. Um, but unfortunately, Rumel did reopen his business somewhere else in Lansing. Now this business is closed, and his equipment has been moved out of the building, and the building will not be used for another abortion clinic. So uh, what's going to happen? Uh, well, um, I'm not really sure. Theodore Rommel is, is very, very old. Um, a picture that was used to kind of break this story on, on Facebook is of Rommel getting out of his car on a walker. Um, obviously someone who's in a walker uh, probably is not in a condition to perform surgery. And so, and we see this with a lot of abortion clinics and a lot of abortionists. They're, they're getting old, they're aging. There's not as many young people willing to step up and perform abortions. Now, Rumel himself, uh, as we talked about the, in our last episode, that uh, abortion abuses report, Rumel shows up in there plenty of times. He's had a lot of different problems. Uh, we talked about Alberto Hadari a lot. Uh, that's actually who owned this clinic, and Rumel bought it from Alberto Hadari. Man, I can never say that name. And so now we're in a situation where Lansing is abortion-free, at least for a certain amount of a time. So hopefully no other clinic is going to reopen. Hopefully Rumel doesn't reopen his cl- another clinic somewhere else. Hopefully another abortionist doesn't come in. That might be likely to happen, but for the time being... Unborn babies are not having their lives ended in Lansing. This story just came out yesterday. The National Institutes of Health plan to lift the ban on research funding for human-animal hybrids. Obviously, we don't think that's a great idea. You are creating a uh, a living being that is uh, part animal, part human, how human, how animal depends on what the researchers do. And then this uh, this chimera, as they're called, is uh, killed for research purposes. It opens the door to all sorts of potential abuses. If you've ever read uh, Brave New World, uh, you understand how uh, genetic engineering and you know creating life in this manner can be very, very problematic. But one thing I I really wanted to uh, focus on briefly is in 2006, President Bush in his State of the Union address uh, mentioned human-animal hybrids and said that we need to move forward with a ban on it. He uh, mentioned that in addition to human cloning. Now, when he made that comment, the media and even, you know, friendly supporters, I know some supporters of President Bush, were making fun of him, thinking he was completely out of touch what is he talking about? Human-animal hybrids. It's the most bizarre thing we've ever heard. Well, only 10 years later, we've gone from, what are you talking about, human-animal hybrids, to we can create human-animal hybrids and we need taxpayer funding for it or else. And it's funny, but probably the most people who are the people who are most outspoken uh, about President Bush being out of touch for even mentioning it, would probably be the ones most likely to defend uh, such funding now. So when people say things like the slippery slope isn't real, it's a logical fallacy, you know, that's, that's just not the case. The slippery, the slippery slope is very real and it happens. All right, so let's talk about our primary election on August 2nd. Uh, the primary election went great. 
The Rights Life of Michigan Political Action Committee endorsed candidates, won in 91.7% of races. We were a little upset. Um, We were just 0.3 percentage points from having our best primary ever since we really began tracking it, uh, those numbers closely in the early 2000s. So this is the best that the election in the primary we've had since 2006. Uh, The numbers were really good across the board. RLM PAC endorsed candidates, won in 9 of 9 congressional races, 65 of 66 state house races. Uh, Endorsed judicial candidates, uh, won or advanced to the general election, because sometimes they have runoffs, uh, in 18 of 21 races. And in local races, it was 150 out of 168. So great all around. A couple of the priority races uh, went really well. Obviously, the one that I want to focus on is Brian Elder. Uh, Brian Elder was running for state representative in the 96th district on the Democratic side. His opponent was, he had two opponents actually, his main opponent was Don Tilley. Um, There was also a third candidate who ended up receiving 14% of the vote, uh, Brian Dufresne. I hope I'm pronouncing that name right. So this election was a big deal because it was the only one in which Planned Parenthood Advocates of Michigan was squaring off against the Right to Life of Michigan Political Action Committee. Brian Elder was endorsed by the RLM PAC, and Planned Parenthood's candidate was Don Tilley. Elder won with 47% of the vote, and Tilley got 40% of the vote. And so this is good on a couple different levels. Obviously, any time we have pro-lifers going up against the Planned Parenthood-backed candidate, winning. That's wonderful. It's also good because it was a Democratic primary in the state. In Michigan, we've had a couple of very strong pro-life Democrats, uh, particularly in that Bay County area where the 96th district is. So that's wonderful, Uh, especially as we're getting into in a minute in the conventions and the platforms and the national parties. It's really good. You really need to have two parties both be pro-life. Our eventual goal, of course, is to get a human life amendment into the Constitution. In order to get a constitutional amendment, you need two-thirds majorities, uh, you need three-fourths of the states, you need a lot of broad support, and so uh, really what we need in this country is we need everyone to be pro-life. Republican, Democratic, Libertarian, Green Party, Constitution Party, Free Soil Party, whatever else you want to throw in there, even the Whigs. Um, so that's what we really, really need. And since we're on that note, let's move right into the uh, conventions. Last week was the Democratic National Convention, and the week before was the Republican Convention. We talked a little bit about the Republican Convention. Uh, let's talk a minute about the Democratic Convention. It was unfortunate because abortion was a centerpiece of the convention, one of the centerpieces. Both Cecile Richards, the president of Planned Parenthood, and Nayral's Elise Hogue were invited to speak. Uh, you know, it's unfortunate that the abortion provider, the leading abortion provider in the country, is given a prime speaking spot at the National Convention for the Democrats. And of course, uh, that's reflected in the platforms. Now, many of us in Michigan are familiar with the history of the Republican platform. Uh, Marlene Elwell, our beloved pro-life activist, uh, was able to get that in there in Michigan. And the Republican platform is uh, very strong on pro-life issues. Uh, Just to talk a little bit about it, 
It starts right off the bat saying the Constitution's guarantee that no one can be deprived of life, liberty, or property. Uh, Delivery echoes the Declaration of Independence proclamation that all are endowed by the Creator with the inalienable right to life. Accordingly, we assert the sanctity of human life and affirm that the unborn child has a fundamental right to life which cannot be infringed. So that's wonderful. Uh, It also talks about a couple different issues, uh, a couple different pieces of legislation. Um, You can read it on our website, on our blog. Uh, We had a wonderful post directly comparing and contrasting the Republican and Democratic platforms. Now, the Democratic platform, unfortunately, is as pro-abortion as it's ever been. It calls for a repeal of the Hyde Amendment, so they want to force you to fund abortions directly through your tax dollars. It says every woman has a right to abortion. It specifically calls out uh, Planned Parenthood and defends them, the leading abortion provider in America. And unfortunately, you know, we can have uh, pro-life Democrats in the state legislature, and that's great, but there is just a pro-abortion wall at the national level. And look no further than uh, Tim Kaine, Hillary Clinton's pick for vice president. Now, I'm not sure, you know, and let's keep in mind, we can never really guess what's truly in the heart of, of any person, let alone a elected official. But Tim Kaine always said that he was generally pro-life, while probably not pro-life as you or I might be. Uh, he, in the past, he had indicated support for things like parental consent, Uh, late-term abortion bans, informed consent. Since he's been in the Senate, um, I looked when when we were researching, you know, his record. On every single thing that in the past that he said he supported, he has gone back on it uh, since his time in the Senate, probably setting himself up for a uh, presidential or a vice presidential uh, run. And specifically lately, um, he's been talking about the Hyde Amendment. He said, strangely, he personally supports the Hyde Amendment, but he will help Hillary Clinton work to repeal the Hyde Amendment. So it's it's very bizarre. It's like saying, I, I think forcing people to pay for abortions is morally wrong, but I'm going to force people to pay for abortions. Doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, you look at a lot of uh, Democrats in the past, like uh, Joe Biden is a great example of Democrats that used to be pro-life, might say they're personally pro-life, but when they get on that national stage, they're forced to support abortion. Or they are willingly doing it because they want to advance. And that's a sad commentary on uh, their moral courage. And that leads us directly into our big news that we uh, broke yesterday. The RLM PAC has endorsed Donald Trump for president and Mike Pence for vice president. You look at those platforms, you look at the positions of the four candidates, Trump, Pence, uh, Clinton, and Kane. The contrast is very clear, and it all comes down to the Supreme Court. With Antonin Scalia's death, there are three votes on that court to either overturn Roe v. Wade or significantly damage it. Anthony Kennedy, of course, is the wild card and uh, had that horrible vote uh, for that decision, Whole Women's Health versus Hellerstedt a couple weeks ago. And there are four votes on that court to take down every pro-life law we've written in the last 43 years. And all they need is one more vote. And that's sayonara to bans on tax funding of abortion, parental consent legislation, informed consent legislation, ultrasounds, abortion clinic regulations, 
conscience protection rights for doctors, for hospitals, healthcare organizations, insurance coverage of abortion. I mean, that can all be undone. All it takes is five Supreme Court justices in one decision. That decision, I mean, it doesn't even have to be a uh, case really dealing with the fundamentals of abortion. It can just be a side issue. Um, I think people really don't understand that it's there's no reasoning process there anymore. It's whatever they want to do. It doesn't have to be grounded in any legal procedures, in any hard facts, any statistics. We saw that with the Texas case a couple weeks ago. I still think there's even a lot of pro-life people out there who just don't understand the stakes of this election. And here's what I kind of want to close on, um, talking about the stakes. You know, it's not just about uh, law or... um, the composition of the Senate or the justices that sit on the court. All those things are important. Who's in the Oval Office? All those things are important. But, you know, why do we do all this? Well, because abortion is, it's not just, you know, an issue like a, uh, whether or not a, you know, 5% raise in the income tax is justified. I mean, we're talking about human lives here. Every year, and sometimes I wonder, as pro-lifers, if we really take this to heart, that um, every day thousands of babies are dying from abortions in this country. Every year, more than a million. I mean, abortion is the leading cause of death in this country. And do we take that seriously? Do we act like that? Do we vote? Do we make decisions? Do we make difficult decisions about elections and who to support based on the idea that a court that is pro-abortion and is full of young justices will be on there for 25 years means uh, loss of more than 25 million lives over that course of time. I mean, that's, it's it's an unfathomable amount. That's like a, it's like a world war level of death and destruction. I mean, are we voting like a world war is being conducted on the unborn? In politics, there's something called the uh, moral equivalency of war, and I really don't want to get too much into that, but the idea being that you can treat an issue that isn't like a war as important as a war in order to get people to take action on it. But in this case, actual unborn children are dying and will die. You know, what are we doing about that? You know, the bottom line is uh, next, by ne- time, this time next year, there's either going to be president... Donald Trump or President Hillary Clinton? President Donald Trump has said that he would appoint rule of law justice to the Supreme Court. He would support a couple other important pieces of pro-life legislation. All we need is basically two more votes on that court. We could overturn Roe v. Wade. In Michigan, if things are set up right, that means abortion would be illegal. That means 25,000 lives a year instantly saved. The opposite is a pro-abortion court, maybe as many as uh, six to three votes for 25 years, where any piece of legislation that we can think up is going to be slapped down as unconstitutional. I mean, it could get that bad. It could be that bad. And I think people really don't understand that. I understand that you know, both candidates running for president are unpopular. A lot of people don't want to pay attention to this election. And and really, I, I get that. I understand that from a personal perspective. But, you know, we're not talking about tax rates here. We're talking about human life, the value of human life, and 
the result of if we don't fail, uh, if we fail to come through in this election with a pro-life Senate and a pro-life Oval Office, the results are going to be catastrophic. And that is not fear-mongering. I really wish it weren't the case. I really wish the worst it could be is like it is now, where we have, uh, uh, well, before Antonin Scalia died, where we had a just uh, we had four and four and one swing justice in between, and um, you know we had a fighting chance. We're not going to have a fighting chance in the court if Hillary Clinton gets elected. So something important to keep in mind as you discern about what you're going to be doing the next three months and how you're going to be voting on election day on November eighth. Okay, that's all we have for this edition of LifeBeat. Join us for our next episode in two weeks. We'll be going into more detail on human-animal hybrids, cloning, and stem cell research, just giving you an update on where things have been going. Thank you very much for listening, and have a great weekend.